Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church Podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. We'd love to have you join us for worship. Enjoy this message. Yeah, so, hey, it is good to be with you guys. I have missed being with you. There's no place like home. I love being with you. I want to thank, uh, Craig's not here today. Craig Lockwood filled in for me a couple weeks ago. Uh, Craig and Deb, his wife, are, are dear old friends of ours. We served together uh, on staff at a vineyard in, at the Vineyard in Anaheim for 20 years together, and then we left, and then Craig was there another 20 years after that. But anyway, thanks to Craig. And then last week, uh, you guys got to hear from Donna. That's the, that's the bonus side of me not being here is that it, it takes a lot to get Donna to get up here, but, but everybody always enjoys it when she does. So you got to hear from Donna last week. We have been in a little series called Rhythms of Grace, and it's really talking about, thinking about uh, rhythms of life that we can build into our lives that help us form patterns that will help to give us uh, a greater sense of peace, a greater sense of of health, mental health, spiritual health, well-being, patterns in our life that, ju- that just help us to live a more fulfilled life. And I think this idea for this series came to me just because life is so challenging. Anybody ever think life is hard? Am I the only one that thinks that? Life can be hard sometimes. Um, I want to review real quick just a couple points. We opened the series talking about rest. And again, I, I started there intentionally. Uh, you know, m- many of us in our culture today, people work hard, and, and they get a lot done, and we have our to-do lists. And I think my experience personally, as well as just anecdotally people I talk to, if we neglect anything in our lives, very often it's rest, and we need rest. Here, here's the irony is that we can't accomplish all the other stuff as well as we could if we were well-rested. So we started there, and then we talked about prayer as resistance. Not necessarily praying, you know, in the way that we think often about prayer, but thinking about prayer in the sense of a means of pushing back against uh, the expectations, the tasks, all the stuff that has to be done in life. We talked about discernment, and discernment is a, it's kind of a, Christianese, kind of a religious word, but really what it comes down to is it's, it's thinking through life, using our own imagination and thought processes, combining that with input from friends and mentors and people that we trust, and, and, and using that process to help make decisions that get us through life. So um, that's sort of uh, where, we, where we've been. I want to talk about another uh, rhythm of grace, and another... Uh, thing, a dynamic in life today that I think is sometimes overlooked, uh, and that is the area of celebration. Celebration. So I want to start uh, with our launching pad text. If you could go one more for me, Yemi. This is, this is sort of the foundational text for the whole series. Uh, I, you know, clearly this is Jesus. Come to me. Come to me, 
All you who are weary and burdened, anybody who's tired, come to me. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle, humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus says that's the way life can be if we walk with him. And so uh, that's really the focus of this series on rhythms of grace. I want to, just for a second, I want you to think with me about the perceptions that many people have about God today. Now, this would be, I think, people outside of Christianity that don't have a relationship with God, but maybe people that do have a relationship with God as well, some of them uh, have an image of God. And, and I think typically, or maybe stereotypically, there are, there are two ways that people tend to think about God um, very often, and those are that God is either angry or boring, okay? So the angry, that kind of goes back to the whole Jonathan Edwards sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I was thinking about it this morning, actually, just that if you look all of history, you think of all, how many sermon titles can you think of or do you know of from history? The most famous sermon title of all time is Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, which is tragic. It's just not that representative of, of who God really is. We sort of get this picture when you hear of that. God is this, this cranky, miserable, kind of mean old guy, and he's pointing the finger and watching his kids, just looking for anybody to possibly step out of line a little bit, and he's going to smack them upside the head, you know, which is just uh, such a, a horrible uh, impression of God, a picture of God. And, you know, I think even in that mindset, when you think that way, you factor Jesus in, and Jesus may be a little bit softer and kinder, but really, he's kind of the one saying, you wait till your father gets home. This picture of kind of an angry God. Um, equally inaccurate, and I think this may be today, in our culture today, more prominent, is the idea of God as a killjoy. He may not be a mean parent, but he's certainly a very strict one. You better stay in line, young man. God is anti-everything. That might be fun. You know, I've used it before, but he says, you know, you better not smoke, drink, chew, or go with girls who do. And I, I just want to say, if you go with a girl that chews, God bless you. <laughs> the, Greek, the Greek word for the Trinity is perichorosis. Can you go to the next slide for me, Amy? So that is an image that, that an artist drew of the idea of the Trinity. And you sort of see the three figures there, and there's kind of a swirl. There's movement. It's, it, it denotes movement. They're in sync. They're moving together. But, but there's sort of this image of a dance, a, a holy dance. The Father, Son, and Spirit are connected. There's this interpersonal relationship. But, but there, as you study the word perichorosis and, and, you, and you look into it and dive into it a little bit, you get this idea of a dance. And it's, it's really the Father, Son, and Spirit dancing a dance of love and joy. 
And that's the picture of God. And I, I tried to think, what would it be like? And the best thing I could come up with is, is a father dancing with his daughter at her wedding. And, and I have had that opportunity at both my daughter's weddings to dance with my daughter. And I tell you, there is no greater moment of joy than that. And that's, that's really the picture of God that I think we should hold on to. Um, that's the picture of God. That, 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 that heavenly dance is where creation comes from. Everything that we have and see and know today comes out of that. It's this dance of joy. And it's, it's not mean, and it's not boring. It's really, it's really, it's precious, and it's, it's beautiful. There, there are um, certain denominations, certain churches that don't allow musical instruments because they're tools of the devil. And when I was growing up in the 70s, there was a lot of churches where you couldn't have electric guitars or drums. Those were the, those were the demonic instruments. The rest of them were okay. But there are certain denominations in which all musical instruments are not allowed. And I, I, I always, I, I want, I never have had an opportunity to talk to somebody who comes from that, that tradition. I, I kind of want to ask them, what Bible are you reading? I, I, I'm not, I'm not following. But there's this that they say you'll get deviled if you if you use the musical instruments. But the point is that's their image of God. He's this sort of very serious, very stoic figure. And I just think that's not the image of God. Here, here's a couple. Uh, couple things for you. The, the word joy appears in the Bible 242 times. 242 times talks about joy. Another 154 times is the word rejoice. Joy and rejoice are two of the most common words in Scripture. And Amy, if you would go one more slide for me. Here's a little known secret. Uh, the words in Scripture for joy and grace are almost identical. Did you know that? Joy and grace are almost the same word. The transliteration, char and char, is one letter difference. But if you look at the Greek word, the original word there, you'll see that even in the, in the original language, they're very, very similar. Joy and grace are similar. Joy happens when we encounter grace. When we bump up against the grace of God, it creates joy. Uh, uh, this is it. This is why in that sort of fundamentalist kind of judgmental image of God, God is so angry. Because where there's no grace, there's no joy. But, but in God, where there's grace, there's joy. Uh, think, about, think about this for a minute, if you would. Uh, go, go to the next slide for me. Uh, angel appears to some random shepherds out in a field somewhere. They're out doing their job, right? Angel shows up, and what does he say? I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Good news, great joy, all people. How much like what we hear coming from so many churches does that sound? Good news, great joy, all people. I'm just asking a question. I don't know if we hear that all the time today. That was the message. I'm bringing you good news. It's going to cause great joy. That's for everybody.
One of the last things Jesus says to his disciples before he goes to the cross, Emmy, one more. I've told you this. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. This is his parting words. I told you this so that my joy, he is full of joy. He's that, Jesus is in that triune dance with God. My joy would be in you. You get to have my joy and that your joy then would be fulfilled. You'd be complete. That's what Jesus wanted to say when he left. I want you to know the joy I have, and I want you to be able to walk in that same joy, that same dance that God is involved in, that that joyous place of presence and grace. God says, I want you to have that as well. I'm inviting you into that process. How do we do this? How does this happen in our lives? So think about it. We talk about our witness, right? Your witness is what people... It's not, and I, I really believe this wholeheartedly, 100%, it's not so much what we say as what we do. Our, our lives are our witness. You can talk to people, tell people about Jesus, but what do they see in you that causes them to think, whatever that is that that person has, I would like to have a little bit of that. Is it joy? I, here's the thing. And again, I, I'm just, I'm asking questions today as much as anything, but My suspicion is if Christians were filled with joy, people would want to know more about where it's coming from. How do we do that? How do we live out that place of joy? I have a couple thoughts. You want to know? I'm going to tell you anyway. Uh, One is this. This is profound. Throw a party. Throw a party and invite your family and friends. I, you know, you look at the ministry of Jesus. He went to parties. Jesus had parties. He partied so much, he was accused of, of being a drunk and a glutton. Now, let me ask you a question. Why would people say that about Jesus? You wouldn't accuse somebody of something that they had no connection with, right? That would be like, that's ridiculous. You say something, you accuse somebody of something that might have some foundation. They accused, why did they accuse Jesus of being a drunk and a glutton? Because they saw him at parties eating and drinking. That's why they accused him of that. Jesus loved a good party. Um, He loved to have a good time. And I think that the religious element of the day in Jesus' time is very much like the religious element today. And they point the finger, they say, oh, look at, oh, bad, 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 look at that. Look what he's doing over there. Not good, not good. You know where that comes from? No grace, no joy. No grace, no joy. Have you, have you ever noticed this? Think about this for a minute. When you're not having fun, you don't like it when anybody else is having fun. Look at those guys. Isn't it true? If you're not having a good time, you don't like it when other people aren't having a good time. There's a, uh, there's a strange little section of Scripture. I, I, I pondered this. It kind of still it stumps me. What's going on here? What exactly is happening? John chapter 2. First recorded miracle of Jesus. Son of God. Jesus shows up on the scene. What's the first thing he does? Does he raise the dead? Nope. Heal somebody with leprosy? Nope. Multiply food and feed a bunch of hungry people? 
Nope. He turns water into wine at a party. This is Jesus' inaugural event. He shows up on the scene. First thing he does is turn water into wine at a party. Not only a party, but it's a wedding reception. Wedding receptions are the best kind of parties. They really are. There's always good food, good wine, and somebody else is paying for it. I love that. That's, that, that's the best. Um, Mary's there. Mother Mary. Mother Mary, come to me. Sweet, sweet Mary. And uh, she comes to Jesus, and she says, they're out of wine. I, I, this whole scene to me is hilarious. Jesus is still kind of laying low. He's kind of incognito. Nobody really knows who, he's in, who he is yet. He's at this wedding. He's kind of hanging back. They run out of wine. Mom comes over. They're out of wine. Jesus is like, mother, do not. You know, I mean, I'm sure that he don't, mom, mom. I love Mary though. She, Jesus doesn't say he'll do it. But she just turns around and walks away and tells the guys, do whatever he says. I love that. Mary's got it going on. Now, I, I just, I'm just giving you the context, and this is scripture. If you, if you have a problem, email me later, um, broganmarcott at gmail.com. How <laughs> do you like that? So, so, but here, John tells us that there were six water jars there, and each of those jars had 20 to 30 gallons held 20 to 30 gallons. So let's average that out. Six jars, let's say 25 gallons. Six jars times 25, I'm not great at math, 150 gallons. Not liters, not quarts, 150 gallons of wine. I love the detail John goes into because Jesus not only turns the water into 150 gallons of wine, but it's not two buck chuck. It's like a 2017 Adelsheim Pinot. He turns it into a very nice wine. Am I right? Okay. Um, Now, remember, again, context. We talk about context. To understand Scripture, you have to look at the full context. The context is, at this particular wedding, they'd already run out of wine. So whatever wine was originally purchased for the wedding was gone, and, and Jesus now cooks up 150 gallons more of really good wine. I'm telling you, it's a perplexing little section of Scripture. All throughout the New Testament, Apostle Paul battles bad thinking, bad ideas on on two fronts. There's two extremes uh, that that I think are, are, that we should, be mindful of and watch out for. One on one end is, the, is, is legalism. Uh, you know, the, the, the don't smoke, drink, or chew crowd is over here. And to those people, Paul says, no, no, you don't understand. You don't get it. You don't get it. it it's, doing all of the right things isn't going to give you entrance into the kingdom of God. That's not how you get there. It's the righteousness that comes through Jesus. That's how you get into the kingdom of God. And really, what, what Paul is doing here, he echoes Jesus. And if you would go to the next slide for me in Matthew, what does Jesus say? I, th- this is really good. He called the crowd to me, said, listen, understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. It's not what you eat or drink. It's what comes out of your mouth is what defiles them. Can I tell you something? I've been pondering this verse all week. Um, you know what, 
what Jesus is saying there? Don't worry about the other stuff. Be nice, okay? Just be nice to everybody. Don't say bad things about people. That's, that's what he's saying here. So on one hand, Paul battles against legalism. On the other hand, really are folks who take liberties too far. And I, we have to, I have to say, I think this is part of it too. You take the grace of God so far that if I'm in Jesus, I can do whatever I want. There's no judgment on me. And I'll do that even to the detriment of other people, even if it hurts people around me. And, and I think we can't allow our freedoms to become stumbling blocks and harm others as well. I don't know if you've ever known someone who was raised in a very strict, legalistic sort of environment in their home, maybe. Very strict. And let's just say that person, you know, is, is raised in that environment up till they're 18 or 19, and then they leave home and they go away to college. What happens to that person? They go completely off the rails. Next thing you know, they're out running out credit card bills, buying rounds for everybody, staying out all night, doing drugs, hooking up. They just go completely off the rails because they've been so constrained all their life. My point is simply this, that neither extreme is beneficial. Neither extreme is beneficial. The grace of God really does fall somewhere in the middle of that. The outcome of either of those can, can end up, as we know, being very, very harmful. Life in God is supposed to be a celebration. And we experience the goodness of God directed towards us. And if we lose sight of that, I think we're missing out. We're not really walking in what God has for us if we don't see life as a celebration. I love, I have, I'm not always one of these people. Sometimes I am, but I have friends who are, who are able to see God in, in creation, in nature, just in life even, and, and really rejoice and celebrate. You know, whether it's a sunset or, you know, I was in uh, Colorado last week. It's, uh, Oregon's a beautiful place. If there's a more beautiful place, it might be Colorado. And you just look out in the morning, it would be cold. And there's mountains and it's gorgeous. And you could, you know, it's, it's, we're up at 8,000 feet, so you take a breath and go, <clears throat> you can't hardly breathe. But it's just so beautiful. And I just, I, I just you feel God there. And we, should, we should be celebrating life. Life is a gift, and it, it, sh it should be a joyful, a, a joyful thing. To be able to walk in God's presence, goodness, it, it does require balance and wisdom. And, and I want to, I, I, you know, if you've grown up in a home where alcohol was abused, it caused harm, then I, I, I'm sorry. I apologize. God bless you. We'll pray for you. Uh, that is destructive. It can be destructive, and I understand that. Um, Maybe you're someone who grew up unable to celebrate. You've had issues on your, in your own life where you're unable to celebrate without drugs or alcohol. That's also very destructive. That's not a good place to be either. And we need to learn, uh, you know, through, there, there's a process by which we can move past those things and learn to find joy in God and, and find peace in God. Um, and so th th maybe that's something that you need to be able to do too. So, so there's, there's got to be a balance. There's got to be a balance in all of this. But here's the thing. Jesus was 
Jesus was partying so much that he drew the attention, the criticism of the religious crowd. They, they noticed it, and they pointed it out, and they were not happy about it. But what Jesus was doing was really entering into the history of the Jewish people. If you look through the Old Testament, there, were, there was a, a tradition in the, in the early people of God of celebration. And they had built into their calendar seven festivals a year. So you think about it. It's like every six weeks there's a festival. You know, and they, 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 they were different lengths, but some of them were a week long. So there's basically celebrations and festivals happening all throughout the year. So Pentecost is one of those. Passover is one of those. But I was, there's one called the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Booths is kind of cool because it was sort of like a, uh, you know, like a concert, like a camp out. They would go and they'd set up these little tents. So it's, I don't know if it was like Coachella or what, but they would just go have this party in the, out in the field somewhere for a week where they would set up these little tents and, and have this festival. And th- that particular festival was a celebration of everything that God had done for them. Uh, historically, they're thinking back, remembering what God has done. And it was also an opportunity to think about looking forward to what God was going to do. So I want, to, I, want to, I want to look at a description of this. If you go to the next slide for me. So this is the book of Nehemiah. What? Oh, you found it. Okay. All right. This is the book of Nehemiah, and he's talking about the festival booths that I just explained to you. So picture, the Israelites are out in a field somewhere. They set up these tents. Main stage is over here. Side stage is over here. And, and this is what it says. The whole company that had returned from exile, all, all of... Israel, they built temporary shelters, these little booths, and they lived in them. This, this was an eight-day festival. It took, took a week. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, several hundred years, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. They're having an eight-day festival filled with the presence and joy of God. It's just profound. And I what I want to say today is simply that that's what the church should be like. That's what the church should be like. Jesus came celebrating <laughs> because he was the fulfillment of all of those festivals. All of those festivals led towards this day when Jesus arrived. That's why he celebrated. When Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, what he's saying is, come and rejoice. Come and party. Let's celebrate together. Because of that, I have a conviction. My conviction is that followers of Jesus should not be the lamest people on earth. Okay? Just... Anyway, God, God, uh, strike that comment. Um, now I'll leave it in. Uh, God has given us reason and opportunity to celebrate. And so throw a party, throw a party. But, but like the Israelites, don't leave God out of your party. We should, we should celebrate as much as anybody. We have more to celebrate. So throw a party. Make sure you include God in your party, but have a party. Second idea is this. And the, second, that was my, the first idea was throw a party. That's how we, how we walk in joy. Second idea is more internal, but it's really 
It's, it's this. Don't take life too seriously. We, we should be able to, as Christians, I think, be able to laugh at the irony of life. Okay? We should be able to look at life and see the irony and, and be able to laugh at that and not take it too seriously. You know, here's the thing. Most of us don't think of the Bible as being a very funny book. Anybody ever think that? It, it's a funny book, okay? It really is. I, I want you to think about it. The Bible is a series of stories that, that are very often ironic and, and pretty funny, if you think about it. Consider, okay, let's just talk for a minute. A couple examples, real quick, and we'll wrap up. Old Testament story of Abraham and Sarah. So Abraham is the father of the faith, right? He's, he's the cornerstone. Abraham is what everything else after is built on. The life of Abraham. So God speaks to Abraham and Sarah. He says, leave your home. Go where I tell you to go. So they take off. They're walking through the desert. It's a long way. It's a lot of miles, a lot of tears. It's a hard time. And then God says this. You're going to be the father of nations. Okay. Dude's 99 years old. He's been barren their whole lives. Okay. That ship sailed. There's no little blue pill. Okay. What is Abraham's response when God says this? Go to the next slide for me. Abraham fell face down he laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at 90? God gives Abraham a word, and what does he do? He laughs at him. Now, God wants to confirm that this word is really true. So to confirm the word that he already gave them, he sends an angel to let them know, hey, this is really happening. This is happening, and when he sends the angel, this is the confirmation of the original word. Go to the next slide. Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out, my Lord is old, will I have this pleasure? I want you to just think about this with me for a minute, okay? God comes and gives you a word, and you think it's ridiculous, and you laugh about it. God says, hey, if you don't believe me, he sends an angel to confirm that the word he gave you is true, and you and your wife both laugh about it. They are laughing at the word of God. It's pretty funny. Go to one more. The, uh, Frederick Buchner is a theologian. This is what he says. I, I love this quote. This is, he says, Is it possible, I wonder, to say that it is only when you hear the gospel as a wild and marvelous joke that you really hear it at all? Heard as anything else, the gospel is the church's thing, the preacher's thing, the lecturer's thing. Heard as a joke, high and unbidden, ringing with laughter, it can only be God's thing. There's, there's joy and irony, and honestly, it's funny to think about how good God is in our lives. It should bring joy to us. Abraham and Sarah had had a hard life. They had a sad life, um, but it, it, it had a happy ending. God came through even when they thought it was a joke. One more quick example, and we'll wrap up. Go to the next slide for me, Second Samuel. King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has. 
because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. He's rejoicing. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. He and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpet. David is rejoicing in the Lord. He's so happy, he's dancing before God in his linen ephod. Now, how many of you have a linen ephod? I didn't think so. So, most of us don't get this. Go to the next slide for me, Emmy. That's the linen ephod. David... Think, think. okay, for those of you that have been around for a while, think Tom Cruise in Risky Business. David is out there. He's, 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 he's filming a TikTok. He's dancing in his tidy whities Doug gets it. This is funny. That's funny to me. That's, that's, that, that's what Scripture is full of is, is stories like that that when you look at them, you go, there's joy and there's celebration and there's laughter and there's fun. It's not uptight and it's not critical and judgmental. And, and, and that's what I think, again, I, this is just me, you know, I don't know, but I think that's what the church is lacking today. It, it's just a sense of fun. I, I really meant it earlier. Christians should not be the lamest people on the planet have a good time. Throw a party. Invite some friends. I mean, cook, cook, big, cook big meat. I like to cook big. Yes, sir? I was just going to say, I'll let you know. I'll let you know. I, I did cook a brisket this week, which uh, I'm sorry I didn't invite you guys, but man, it was good. But we will do it. We'll have a barbecue sometime soon, and I will cook big meat for you guys. Um, anyway, look, um, Here's the deal. I, I don't know where all of you are in life right now. And maybe life's hard. And, and, and let's be honest, life can be hard. Maybe you're going through a tough time. Here's my encouragement this morning. And, and I do not in any way tend to diminish challenges that anyone might be going through. I get that. But this is what I want to say to you, is celebrate anyway. Celebrate anyway. And here's why. Two reasons. Two reasons why. First is, that even in the midst of whatever you might be going through right now, God is still doing great things. God is doing great things. I, I was, been gone a few weeks, but the first time we were gone, I was at the uh, Vineyard Missions Leadership Conference in, in uh, Texas. Uh, don't, tell, don't tell anybody I said that. Um, but it's a, great, it's a great meeting. It's my favorite... T- meeting of the year because people that work in the vineyard movement in different countries all over the world are there. And it's, 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 it's so amazing because you talk to somebody, you, you, there's people like, I, I know some of these people, some I don't, but I talk to some guy who's working somewhere and he tells me the most amazing story that I've ever heard, what God's doing in this, some little village, you know, somewhere. I go, my gosh, that's awesome. And people are being healed and there's food, and, you know, people are being fed and their miracles are happening. And I go, that's the most amazing thing I've ever heard. And then two hours later, I meet somebody else and talk to that person and they're working in a totally different part of the world and they tell me another story and I go, that's more amazing than the thing the other guy just said. 
And so we can celebrate because, look, even if we're going through a tough time today, God is still doing good things in the world. And he's doing good things in our community. He's doing good things around us. So, so we, we can learn to celebrate and rejoice with those who rejoice and, and really learn to enter into what God's doing. The second thing is this. God is celebrating, and God is celebrating you. God, God is dancing that heavenly dance, and he is singing over you. He loves you, and his joy is in you. You are the apple of God's eye, and, and, and your life brings joy to him. And we can celebrate in that. Okay, let's stand. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org.